Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a Monday show. Hopefully you are doing outstanding today. Got a special show for you today. It's a special guest that I'm really looking forward to talking to. But before we jump into that, I got to do my normal little, my normal spiel. So welcome to Break the Cycle with DSD. I am your host, Dwayne. I am not a therapist, nor am, I, nor am I an attorney. I'm an individual much like you that's been through a tough experience over nine years. And in that time, I've developed some tips and techniques to help me maintain my sanity. And I share that with you to help you do that yourself. Break the cycle of emotional abuse, rebuild the relationship or strengthen the relationship with your kids and basically just get your life back and minimize the damage that happens with that. Remember that only a licensed professional can diagnose an individual with a personality disorder. So be careful throwing terms around because as soon as you start doing that, it starts to undermine your credibility. And the only thing we really have is our credibility. And as soon as you lose that, it complicates things significantly in the process. If you want to get, uh, sorry, if you want to support the channel and help keep the lights on, you can do that by becoming a channel member. Just go over to youtube.com slash dad surviving divorce. Look for the join button. And when you do that, you get special badges, custom emojis, your names listed in credits, uh, member only events, access to member only events and access to a special section of the DSD discord that is available only to members. Uh, if you want to get a text notification for when the show goes live, just text DSD live to 844-598-0012, 844-598-0012. Unfortunately, that only works in Canada and the United States. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll figure out a solution that actually includes the rest of the world, but as of now, it doesn't. Uh, and actually, I'm not going to do phone in or uh, do uh, call in today because we do have uh, two special guests. Who's going to be joining us today is going to be George Hibbert, a retired doctor, uh, psychiatrist, and Jill Kenvin, a retired solicitor, are joining the show today to bring their professional expertise on this particular topic. George was a doctor and a psychiatrist who was a consultant and senior lecturer at Oxford, specializing in drug and alcohol misuse and personality disorders, which we all are uh, always interested in. Uh, Jill spent her professional career in the criminal and family courts, both focused on the most difficult family dynamics where they had to assess parents who were considered by social services as a danger to their children. Uh, George and Jill have brought their expertise together to help parents gather evidence they need to make their case in family court. And there's an app or a service that they're also developing that uh, we'll talk a little bit about. Well, but let's welcome Jill and George today. Good morning, you guys. How you? Well, I guess good morning for me. Good afternoon for you, you guys. Yeah, early afternoon. Hello, Dwayne. Hi. <laughs> Hi, uh... Thank you so much for joining me. I have a, 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 a bunch of questions I want to get into. But but before, I know I did that intro, but if you guys want to tell a little bit about yourself and, and highlights uh, on, your, on your areas of expertise, uh, I'll ha hand the floor over to you. Uh, Jill, do you want to start? You want to go first and tell a little bit about yourself? Yes, I can certainly go first. Um, I was, as you said, a solicitor in England for many years, starting off doing crime. Um, I suppose I did that for about 10 years. And that made me very aware of the difficulties people faced and how difficult it was. What was going on? And um, I very much enjoyed doing that work. I was a duty solicitor being called out in the night for any crime that had been committed, took it in turns with others. And um, I think that grounded me really in understanding the court process. And after I'd done that for some time, I then moved over to family cases and 
ultimately ended up specialising in care proceedings. Those are cases in um, England and Wales where social services are requesting the court to make care orders. That means that the children will be living separately from their parents usually um, and maybe even be adopted. So it was a very traumatic kind of work to do. Um, and you came into contact with lots of people with huge problems. I was um, a, what was called a children panel solicitor representing children mainly, um, having been authorised by the Law Society to go on the panel. And so I was representing through a, through a guardian, lots of babies, but obviously it could have gone up to um, any kind of age, teenage year, years, children as well. So um, I suppose I've done a lot of what a lot of people might think is horrible work, but it was certainly very rewarding and interesting. And you learn a lot through doing that. No, that's, that's outstanding. And, I just want to um, just jump in real quick. I mean, I, you know, I, I appreciate you doing yeah. that and, and, I mean, making it that a, a focus for a while because it, it it does have to be very rewarding to to have an opportunity opportunity to help children in situations that really don't have another voice. I'm sorry, I just had to jump in there. Go ahead, George. That's no, okay. I'm fine. I'm I'm. I, mean, I don't want to give you a long story, but obviously, having trained as a psychiatrist, uh, ran a service, and was part of the unit. Then, as part of my work, I found that I was dealing with families uh, where there were children involved, and again, these were high-risk families that were coming to us. The parents were coming to a specialist service because of their problems and um, presenting substantial risks to the children. And that's how I uh, started to collaborate with Jill because she was running her legal practice. I was running a psychiatric practice. And uh, that led us to collaborate in setting up a centre, a residential centre, where we would assess families uh, to see whether those children could be safely looked after by their parents. Yeah. So they were on the whole very young children um, where the families presented special risks due to personality disorder, substance misuse, uh, other mental illness or some other kind of social circumstances where we needed to give an opinion as to whether uh, to help the court decide whether they uh, remain with their parents or needed to be placed elsewhere. That's, that's, that's tough. I mean, so you guys effectively are seeing the worst of the worst in these situation. And uh, I know a lot of my viewers aren't necessarily at that level. Nothing like that. Yeah. No. So, Nothing and, like and this actually brings up a, 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 a question I have a reoccurring question mm -hmm. a lot of people have. And well, the first thing I want to get into is like, how do you guys think the medical professionals are recognizing and addressing the issues with high conflict, you know, personality disorders uh, pertaining to, to, uh, to the, well, I mean, I know your situation, obviously there, what your experience is in is there's a really catastrophic situation, protective services or social services have been called and it's elevated to enough to where enough people have seen some serious situations. So, I mean, I guess maybe in some ways it's like, okay, this, you know, this particular experience you guys have is, is the worst of the worst, but then you got the, you got the flip side, you got other people who are dealing with people who maybe have a personality disorder, may have a, some underlying conditions, but maybe it's, it's not so severe that everyone is seeing it. 
it, is the are professionals start recognizing or starting to recognize that there are some serious mental health issues that are causing problems in family in family court situations, or are they still are not really seeing it as severe and think people are just kind of blowing it out of proportion? I mean, what's your guys' thought on that? Well, I mean, just speaking from the point of view of medical, the medical profession, my impression is that the great majority of doctors who deal with the adults, because the adults present in one way or another uh, with depression, anxiety, or some other difficulty, uh, on the whole, do not think about the children. Um, this is partly because of the training they have, where the training diverges from involvement with children to deal just with adults early on in medical training career. Uh, it may be because it's too complicated to start worrying about the children when you're already worrying about the parents. Um, it may be that the problems are just too uh, unpleasant to start to address and your focus is on the parent rather than uh, maybe raising concerns about the welfare of the children. Right. Uh, so there's, there's loads of reasons why general uh, medical people may completely ignore the situation for children um, with the result that, that the family problem just gets ignored and not noticed. Obviously, that doesn't apply to everybody. There are, there are pediatricians, there are, there are child psychiatrists, problems affecting children. But there's such a, there's, there can be a silo mentality in which uh, the people who deal with the adults don't think about the children. And you sometimes get the other way around, that the people who deal with the children don't really attend to the adults' situation. Um, they're not familiar with diagnosing adult psychiatric problems or psychological problems. They're focusing on the children. So there are lots of, there's a lots of gaps in the service which, which families can fall through. And from a, a legal perspective, I've worked in cases where um, the medical professionals have been absolutely brilliant and then you can go right down to appalling. So as with everything, you can get real, really good quality services or you can end up with someone who really shouldn't be an expert. Um, but the excellence of the kind of ways in which we dealt with care proceedings when I was doing it, uh, we would have an expert who would assess the adults if necessary. And we would also have an expert who would be assessing the children. And the court's stance, because of the Children Act, is the best interests of the children prevail. And so the adult psychiatrist would have to be um, in a position to be able to say that the, they believed a parent could change in good enough time for that to be suitable still for them to be um, considered able to parent children. So you couldn't have children waiting around for a year or a couple of years. And when I started oh. to finish doing this kind of work, we were getting, I think mainly because of the cost of these proceedings, because they were colossal, yeah. um, we were getting to the point where the courts were saying that we have to do this work in half a year, 26 weeks. Um, I haven't worked in that environment very much towards the end when, I, when it started. I don't think the it can be very easy at all for parents to improve well enough for them to be able to, in that timescale, show that they can look after children. Yeah, it seems like that from 
everybody I've spoken to on the professional side, it, the likelihood for people with, with significant mental health issues, personality disorders and such, it's, it's a really long process yeah. and, and it's not even guaranteed. It's like if, you know, if someone is like, okay, they're in a treatment plan, it will probably take years upon years and it's still a gamble if they actually do improve. Would you agree with that assessment? Well, well, one, I mean, I'm absolutely, that's obviously true because, uh, you know, personality disorders by definition, they're deeply entrenched and you don't change people's personality in a short period of time. But in our experience with the residential family assessments, what we found was that about a third of the parents that the local authority, that is social services, believed could not parent their children. In fact, with appropriate support, could parent their children. Um, the problem had arisen because of a poor assessment by social services, uh, a poor assessment by some medical person, uh, a clash of personalities between professionals and the family, um, uh, cultural uh, clashes, which meant that people didn't understand what oh, was right, going right. on in a family. So it's, it, 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 was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't always that people had to change, it was that the situation had to be understood properly. Um, well, which, and I, which often was the saving of a family. Yeah. yeah. No, I just, and I know, I know, I know we kind of touched on it, but I just want to dive into a little bit more when you were talking, when you guys were doing the in-resident thing. So in that scenario, what would happen if I remember we were talking about this the other day. So the family, the entire family would be in your facility and would have basically around the clock care slash observation. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just mm -hmm. a, a hour visit or a couple of home visits and then trying to make, I mean, you guys were really entrenched and to be able to really observe what was going on. Do they? It was a great opportunity to see how people behave and to understand how to assess people's behavior and to judge what the effect on children. It was a tremendous opportunity for us both to see that depth of, um, have that depth of experience with people. Yeah. Did, did... My, my experience, Dwayne, is that, um, a lot of professionals find it very difficult to be direct and to have opinions which they will tell adults and i think one of the things that we both do is we're pretty straight with people and so they know what we think and we also um, say what we think they should do that might help them and i don't think from what i've seen of some professionals they're willing to do that they they shy away from the directness. They feel cautious and um, concerned about getting into trouble or being misunderstood. Um, so I, I think actually we were more successful with some of the assessments because we told people really what they had to do. And then it was up to them. They could do it or not. A lot of them didn't do it. Right. Um, but some did. And that was just a wonder wonderful experience to see people transform their lives in front of you and manage to go home with a child or their children. It was remarkable really to watch, but I think it's about people being given the benefit of other people's opinions in a straightforward way, not in a, not in a judgmental way, just saying, this is what people are thinking about you. This is what you should do if you can turn this situation around. And the ones who listen are more successful. The ones that fight you, not physically fight you, but yeah, you yeah. Know, argue are are very unlikely to be successful because they are in opposition. They don't want to hear what you've got to say, and they resist your opinions and your uh, advice. Really, 
Well, it's got to be for the for the ones you're able to connect with. It has to be. Well, I mean, it is life changing. I, I would imagine after going through no. that experience. I mean, one, if you if you're a person who ends up in that situation, right, your life is so out of control that they ended up on your guys's doorstep. You know, you're already living in chaos. But if somebody like you guys can help, could have helped them see what people are seeing and then give them a pathway out. I mean, that's really mm-hmm. the situation yeah. is a lot of people end up feeling, I would assume, trapped and just like just resigned to their circumstances. Like, well, I'm I'm this is my chaos. I can't get through it. And and just proceeding on. Did they get conti- that, that is that can be true, Duane. Yeah. They are in chaos and they can't yeah. change. I mean, the, the, the thing about probably the people who are joining you in this program is that on the whole, they're not going to be as damaged as the people that we were working with. And if they're given a clear advice and clear guidance as to how they can resolve their situation or at least improve it, uh, very often people can act on that. Mm. And the test of the the bottom line for all of this is do people do what they say they will do? (laughs) And and the the second rule is three strikes and you're out. Because you, you, you do have to decide at some point whether people are in fact going to do the things that they have to do. And yeah. you can allow a couple of uh, lapses, but there comes a point where you have to say, well, enough enough of the lapses because the children need stability and the settled situation and res- resolution of the chaos. Yeah, I kind of snickered because that's w- when you first said that, that's what I end up, that's what I tell people a lot, actions and words. When you're dealing with somebody and you're trying to determine whether they're toxic for you, if if they're saying, you know, I love you, but then their actions are basically demonstrating the con- entire opposite, you have to believe the actions. Now, the sad part yeah, for for the most of the people in, in my community is we don't have or they don't have the flexibility when you see three strikes, you're out, that anyone will listen to them, right? I mean, when you're dealing with a high conflict person mm-hmm. who's who's doing and I'll, and I'll ask you guys more about parental alienation and stuff in a, in a later question but just to to touch on it you're in a situation to where you're like oh my god this is a this is a mess how do I fix it how do I protect my kids and then you you walk you know you walk into the family court system and people don't believe you uh, like in my intro when I started I, I I encourage people to to really protect their credibility because if you walk in and you sound unhinged then instead of someone, excuse me, <clears throat> looking at your situation and saying, oh my God, this is a serious situation. It seems from my, my experience and talking with a lot of people, instead of that, it's like, oh great, we have another person who's just angry at the ex, who's just lashing out, who's just, you know, blowing things out of proportion. And it's like, they don't even, no one even really considers what's being said. And then you just get stuck in this infinite do loop to where for years, you're trying to to mm. battle the system to to get people to understand. Mm. So I and I and I yeah. I, I saw a question that that uh, uh, Merge had asked, and he basically had said uh, when we we're talking about people getting it, and it was well, how about welfare officers, guardian guardian ad items, and judges with respect to recognizing the person personality issues that make co-parenting difficult or impossible. Do you? I know Jill, you were talking about you know bringing in experts. But with your breadth of experience with the, on the on the legal side of it, do most? Well, I know the answer for for most of us here watching is the answer is no. But are you? Do these people understand these issues? Are for the most part are they just really woefully un, undertrained or under educated? I mean, that's a bad way to say it, but uh, 
on this on the seriousness of these issues as opposed to just thinking it's two people clashing I think you've got a mixed bag as I said earlier with with all experts I think you have really good ones yeah, what about who, the judges oh judges yeah, yeah um, the lawyers I don't, and the think, I don't think a lot of the judges understand it I don't think they're um okay with it at all actually um and I think they're they're stuck in a, in the old kind of ways that they've been trained. Um, but there's I mean, another side to this, which is because you keep referring, you know, you go to court and people don't believe you, yeah, or people don't take your evidence into consideration. I think the reality of any court is that if you can if you can prove what has happened, and if what has happened is harmful to the children, then people have to believe you. I mean, obviously there are edge cases where uh, there's such a closed mind that you can't get through to people. But in, ultimately, if you can show that things have happened by producing evidence for it, and you can show that the things that happened are harmful to the children, then the court has no choice but to accept your evidence. I think it's, it's not a matter of being believed, you, you know, I, unless, unless you're making it up. Well, and I think the problem is, Sorry. is people don't approach it that way, right? And this is, and this is what's, yeah, exactly. I think, good about your, your guys' tool, exactly. and we'll, we'll touch on that in a moment. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 but most yeah. people, they come in and they, they're, one, they're disheveled with what's going on, that they're in, mm -hmm. just confused and, you know, gaslit. And I mean, just, they're already at a disadvantage. And they're flailing around and trying to communicate what they're, what they're, saying and then no one believes them but but like you said i mean if you could just yeah. take that energy flip it around to where you're actually coming in with with evidence or examples of yeah. what's going on yeah. to yeah. say look i don't you know like i said in the beginning you know don't don't walk in and say you know i'm dealing with an npd or somebody with a personality disorder especially if you don't have a diagnosis and and but focus on the pattern of behavior and maintain yeah. you know your credibility on that now, one of the things, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Dwayne. I think a lot of the problem is that people think just asserting their position is adequate. If they say that these things have happened, that they will be believed. The trouble with that is somebody says the opposite. The judge has to pick who they believe. And somebody, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to say some of, some of these things, but judges often look at how people dress what they look like, if they're polite, and they're very swayed by those kinds of things. Whereas if you've got someone against that person who's ranting, they, they just decide that, you know, obviously the one party who's calmer, who seems more reasonable, and, and a lot of people are very clever at hiding their problems. I, I will give an example of a particular case of mine where the experts were not going to see what was obvious to a lot of the professionals in the case. They could not see it, even though so much was going on that was just totally, well, bizarre. Um, you just couldn't believe it. And, and there are these people have take stances and it's very difficult to then move them from the stance that they have to, to the, where you want them to get. And you do have cases that go very wrong. Um, and the wrong decisions are made, or, or I believe that some wrong decisions have been made. I've certainly been involved in cases where I think that's happened. 
but there are just cases where you cannot, that the truth doesn't seem to come out. But, but, but you're talking from the point of view of a solicitor, mm -hmm. and you weren't in any position to gather the evidence. No. So the problem in those cases was that people who could gather the evidence weren't, weren't presenting no. the evidence. So as a solicitor, you can see it going wrong because mm. the, the evidence that's being produced is not convincing. Yeah. But there, the evidence was there if people had gathered it and presented it. Mm. It couldn't have been argued with. No, that's a that's yeah. an excellent point. And that's, I mean, I have seen, well, I've seen two things. I've seen people who, who appear to have evidence. And then, Jill, like you were saying, the judge just makes a, a knee-jerk assessment saying, okay, well, I believe, you know, I believe one party over the other, the other person is sitting there, well, I have all this. And it's like, I'm not even listening to it. You know, I'm not, I'm done. You lose, they win, you know, gavel down. And, uh, and that, or the other thing is they just don't present it well. But I have seen people on, in my community who have, see, part of the problem is, is people get in this and they're so stressed and anxious that they're, they're not effective in their, in presenting themselves. And, no, and one of the things that I try to do is just help people calm down so that they can think more clearly through it and then make better decisions. But, and, and those people that I've been able to catch early on and, and, and not just me, right? I mean, there's other channels out there that are, that are helping provide uh, uh, like legal or how to present your case. I don't really, that's not really my, my uh, area of expertise, but uh, mm. they, um, but once they're able to do that, they start to have a lot better success. And I think a lot of Absolutely. it is, is just your presentation. It's like, do you, like you, Jill, like you were saying, it's like, do you come across uh, sane and, and, and convincing? I mean, I had a person the other day who called into the show who had a gal report in the United States, had a, a guardian, guardian ad litem report that was just horrible for him, just said he was a complete mm. piece of garbage. Uh, he got that uh, the day before his trial, his three-day trial. Mm. Uh, they proceeded to try to slam him, but it was, but the, but his, the opposing sides presentation was so bad that even the judge is like, you're not even making your argument. You're making the argument that Mr. Smith over here is a good dad. And I mean, basically collapsed their entire argument and he ultimately, well, he's the order hasn't come through yet, but I mean, it was, but, but when he called in, I mean, he was completely devastated. He's like, Oh my God, I'm going to lose. I got it. You know, I mean, they've, they've checkmated me. I'm already done. I'm like, calm down. Don't, don't claim, you know, defeat out of the hands of victory, wait and see what happens. So, um, yeah. so the, uh, well, sometimes, sometimes people have, uh, it's very difficult for people to stay calm. Oh my God. Yeah. They have, they have an ex who knows how to press their buttons and it's extremely difficult not to resist what may have become a habitual pattern in a relationship in which one party or one person is able to trigger yeah. Uh, rage, despair, whatever in the, in, in their opposite number makes it very, very difficult to stay calm. What I tell people on that, and this is to try to help them with that is when it's happening, try to recognize it. You know, if in the moment your little inner voice can go, Oh my God, they're trying to push my buttons and calm yourself mm. down. And, and it can be very empowering for the person that happens. If you realize it, and you're able to do, I mean, even if you're just, even if it's as simple as not reacting in the way you normally would, so it, it's in the moment it can feel minor, but it's really significant because you're right. I mean, they take their bony little fingers and go boop right in the eye to try to try to basically provoke you to, uh, to, to demonstrate their story, right? The narrative they're trying to do is to, 
yeah. make you play yeah. your part. One of, and the lawyers will do that too. Oh, the lawyers will do that too, knowing that they can set you off. And yeah. I had to, as a witness, I was, I was giving a lot of evidence in the family court and I had to learn not to look at the lawyer who was asking me questions, but to look at the judge because the judge was the person I had to persuade. It yeah. wasn't the lawyer. I was never going to persuade the lawyer. So you can hear the questions. And in fact, it's dis unsettling for the lawyer to never have eye contact with you when they're asking questions. So it's a double uh, whammy, really. Uh, don't, it, it's a small tip for anybody giving evidence. Look at the judge. Don't look at the lawyer. No, that's a great point. And it's, it, and it's the frustrating part is we would hope, or I guess, you know, me being on the other side and, and going through this, you would hope that an attorney would have, I mean, I, that people wouldn't do that, right? That you wouldn't just, I mean, it's not a game. Why? You know, you know, Why I mean, would you hope that it is a game. It is a game for them. I know it's horrible. Of course it's a game. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's one thing. Yeah, I know, I know, but it's terrible. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it's like you're really messing with people's lives. I mean, you know, okay. If it's business and, and you're playing that strategy and you're playing, you know, whatever. And it's like, but, but I mean, you're talking about the net effect of this in family court is you're destroying a parent, you're destroying a family and potentially you're destroying a child who you know, I mean, is, is basically being ripped apart by all this in the process. I mean, it's just, it's a horrible system. I mean, I, I, there, at some point there needs to be some reform and I, and I do see things changing. It's just going to take a significant amount of time before I think before that happens. Do you guys agree with that? Or do you, do you see changes in the system happening or do you think it's going to take forever? No. Really? Well, I think there was, um, a golden age perhaps, um, a while back, maybe it was, when systems were set up, child protection was established, gals, for example, being uh, created, um, family courts being created, and people trying to establish a, a, a system which would protect children and help families. But I think as time has gone on, there are budget pressures, mm. uh, there's a, a problems with training, um it's not it's not the first line of law uh you know there's there's other ways of being a lawyer which makes more money um yeah there are not necessarily the quality amongst social workers that you'd hope for uh there are reasons why it doesn't improve in fact maybe deteriorates certainly in the uk i think it's deteriorated over the last uh, 20 years i think for I those th kinds of reasons so I think what what the, the really the real underlying, I guess, uh, takeaway from that is it it really means that as, if you're in the involved in this, we have to take an active approach in this mm -hmm. and really be our own advocate and then, and then empower our attorneys or solicitors or barristers, depending on where you're at, to effectively communicate what's going yes, on. I mean, absolutely. So, mm -hmm. and I'm, I, that makes sense. Right. And I, and I, it seems like that's maybe the shift that's happened to where, why I'm seeing different outcomes is not necessarily because the system has changed, but just the, the litigants approach has changed. I mean, cause back in the old days, like even where I was at or where I'm at in California, you know, I mean, anyone, a father getting 50, 50 custody was unheard of. Right. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like you get standard visitation, you'd be the weekend dad, and uh, a lot of people yeah. are now like for me, I mean, I didn't want that. I mean, plus, I, there's also ramifications for it. If, if one person has residence or our full custody, as they call it in the United States, uh, 
then the other parent has a lot of control. And if you're dealing with somebody who's toxic and, and, you know, potentially has an issue, you can, if they have control, you're hosed, you know, you're not going to be able to effectively communicate. You're not going to be able to negotiate. You're not going to be able to co-parent. They'll basically lord that control over you. And, you know, you'll, you'll effectively, especially if they can move away, you'll never see your kids again. I mean, the United States is pretty big. It doesn't take much for people to move away. And it's nearly impossible mm-hmm. to see your children because, yeah. you know, it's three yeah. days drive or plane tickets and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the things so I, we're trying to encourage that. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I think it's great. Uh, so I had another another comment here that said uh, I was asking if you guys could talk about the uh, approaching your case using good evidence and aligning the arguments with the best interest factors and does that force the judge to follow the law, not, uh, his, his or her discretion. And I think that kind of ties in what I was just saying. So what do you, mm. do you guys agree with that? Yes. I mean, I've, I've written quite a lot of blogs now and it's made me think about what it would be like being a litigant in person and what people need to do. And I, it's obvious actually that you need to get good evidence that you need to look at it from more than your own perspective yeah um if you're going to write a statement you need to look at it from everyone else's perspective as well because you're going to be faced with other people's perspectives when you get to court so you might as well think about what they are beforehand and that means that you're ready for the you know to make the arguments always keep records not just of what somebody's done that's that you know that's bad not not just what the ex has done that's bad but the impact on the children i think it's really important to keep that in mind all the time and try to see if you can show the impact of that behavior on the child a specific incident or the continuation of a a particular way of behaving because that then is the focus of the statement that you make and you need to think about it in terms of what the court is required to think of the best interests is, is uh, of the child is indeed what you know the the priority of the court and you need to think go through in the in the uk we've got something called the welfare checklist which has a a list of things that the court considers and um i've written a blog just recently about all of that and it you go you go through the the welfare checklist yourself and think, well, what could I put in my statement, which helps the judge to reach the conclusion that I would that I'm seeking? Um, so it's it boils down to do a lot of research, think about your case very carefully, think about it from different perspectives, and then prepare your statements, the way you give evidence, the way you talk to people, in the in the context of all of that thinking that you've done. And I think that will put you really streets ahead of most people because my experience is people come to you as a solicitor to help you know to help them and in fact they're not thinking very well about what they need it's their case it's not the the lawyer's case right they need to be thinking about you know helping helping the lawyer to get the best out of the situation not just waiting for the lawyer to do things because we can't think of everything and if you don't tell us things we don't know about it so it's really important to keep records of everything that's happening so that you remember them and you can see a pattern perhaps developing and the impact on the children developing. 
And then you're, as I say, you know, way ahead of most clients um, who normally come to a solicitor and expect something to happen, you know, to, for the work to be done by the solicitor, some magic to be done by the solicitor. They don't do magic. I mean, we, we, we really don't do magic. We, we can only base it on the information we're given and thinking about it, of course, but, but it's, you know, we're, we're not doing magic, I, obviously. Yeah, no, I just want to dovetail with that because I think the problem most people have is you, you go into an attorney, you drop a bunch of money on them, and you just assume that that person is going to be your gladiator. That's going to be, you know, under, mm -hmm. you know, that they're, they're the professional. They know, they know everything they need to ask. And that is a surefire rep recipe for disaster. It, you, absolutely. You, you absolutely have to take uh, an active role in it and to be more effective on that. And well, I'm going to, I want to ask uh, another question before I get into the next part, but I just, one of the things, I mean, we're talking a lot about just kind of the overarching things, but, but let me ask you this. What is the one thing or what is there, are a few things that a person can do if you're in a high conflict situation to, to, to help and best support their child in the middle of this? Do you guys have any advice for that? Because oftentimes we get so focused on, on fighting the war or fighting the battle that we lose sight of what's happening with little Johnny or little Timmy. And, you know, I, I think that creates a whole bunch of extra problems, right? I mean, you're, you may be fighting with your ex or fighting with your attorney, but at the, the same time, you're losing the, you're losing the heart and minds of your own, of your own kid or your own children because yeah. you're not focused on it. What, what should people be thinking about to minim, minimize that effect or to maximize their success with their kids? Well, well, I was, as I said just before, I think you really should have in mind what your child is thinking, what your child is, is feeling and the impact of the things that are going on on that child and try to be understanding and to put yourself in their shoes so that you can perhaps react in a way which you feel is more appropriate for the child. You don't want a child that's behaving just to appease a parent, for example. And you yeah. see that quite a lot where children are saying what they want, what they know a parent wants to hear, maybe saying exactly the opposite things to two parents, you know, because they're trying to keep in with everyone. And I think you need to realize the impact on the children is huge as well. So uh, that, that put another way would be to remember that the child is in fact the victim, mm. that although yeah. you may feel that you're the victim uh, because you're, you're experiencing your own pain, that the real loser is the child and approach the child on that basis. So you may have an older child, for example, who's um, emotionally affected by what's going on and they may be behaving badly. Uh, maybe there's a clash which is tearing their loyalties between the two parents. And it's easy to get angry when the child makes some uh, unfounded criticism, which seems to be an echo of the ex's uh, criticisms or something of that sort. If you can keep in mind that the child is the victim, it makes it easier not to uh, get ratty with the child or um, regard the child as somebody else who's attacking you or undermining you or betraying you. Uh, the child's got to survive this uh, longer than you have. You know, it's, yes, it's and don't include the children in the in the dispute. You know, don't talk about what's happening between you and your ex in mm. front of the children. Well, that's a rule. Or yeah. overhear conversations. It's yeah. really not sensible. 
I just want to just touch on with what you're talking about, George, because I think what you said is what everyone deals with. And what I mean is, is that you, you have your, your child in your house and they're lashing out at you and you feel like your ex is right there. Mm. And, and, or you're like in the back of your mind, you're thinking, Oh my God, my kid has been weaponized. And it's so easy to take to, I consider that bait, right? You to take that bait and lash out at the kids. And it's almost in my mind, it's almost like what they're, they're hoping for, right? It's like, you know, they're not over there necessarily like for trying for parental alienation, trying to say, you know, your, your dad or your mom is a piece of garbage and they suck or anything like that. It's very subtle. And they set up these traps to where you basically make the case yourself with your kids by those. But I, I love what you just mm -hmm. said about if you look at it like, you know, like you look at your, your kid and you're like, man, this is so sad that they're a victim of this that they're trapped. Mm -hmm. And I've said this to people before. It's like, look, you know, like for my situation, I was, I was in the marriage for 20 years. So for, for two decades, I, I had my blinders on and it, and it was somebody I married. How, how much harder is it going to be for a child who it's their parent? You know, I mean, you, you don't yeah. want to see, see that. And if I was oblivious and I've talked to people in my personal life where there were multiple times throughout my life where I had moments of epiphany, where I recognized that something was seriously wrong. And then two days later or, or the next day, it was like it never happened. And I was like, in, 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 you know, oblivious. Well, if as a grown adult, if I'm struggling with that, how in the hell is a child who's anywhere from mm -hmm. five years old to 18 years, you know, 17 years old going to be able to, to deal with that too? I mean, they're just like you just said, they're trying to survive. I think that's a key point to remember. Well, we, we, there's, a, there's a parallel with um, sickness. That is, uh, there's a concept in psychiatry called the sick role. That is that when people are ill, we give them permission not to function normally. That is, they're allowed not to work, for example. Yeah. They don't have to do chores around the house. They don't necessarily even get up or wash because they're ill and you recognize that and you don't criticize them. Obviously, at some point, you expect them to take a grip on themselves as they recover. But nevertheless, when people are sick, you allow them to behave differently. They get special dispensation. Yeah. And if you can think of your child in the same way, that is, while this trouble is going on, they're in a, they're, the rules are different because it's a different okay. situation. Obviously, when the situation resolves itself, the normal, normal relations have to be resumed. You know, respect, et cetera, has to be a you know, present, it's, you know, the parental role has to be acknowledged during the crisis, maybe not. Well, let me ask you this, because this is something that, that comes up a lot. And it was a question that just, just popped up and it, uh, says basically, what do you do when the kids ask about the situation? Right. I mean, and I've even dealt with this where the kids will be like, you know, well, why did this happen? How do you communicate to kids, you know, for whatever age they're at, when they're trying to ask you, as a parent for some clarity, I mean, what do you, what do you recommend people say? It's very difficult to generalize, isn't it? I yeah, mean, the it first is. thing is, I think you tell the, you, you tell the truth. Uh, if you don't <laughs> tell the truth, it will come back to you. Uh, <laughs> Let me just clarify. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean yeah. you go and say, your mother's a psycho. <laughs> what, what do you mean by, so let me just clarify, because I think most people were going to, will go with that. It's like, all right, I'll tell the truth. I know it's nuanced. What do you, how would you explain? <laughs> that doesn't mean you tell them everything. It means what you do say has to be true. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. You don't, you don't tell them everything. Um, 
so you have to be you have to take i suppose ideally you take the court's position that is there's a dispute between us we don't agree with each other you as a child probably know as much about this as i could tell you because you've watched it so you know what's happening you probably have your own opinions and then we slip into the good old psychological technique of saying and what do you think is happening tell me what you're feeling tell me what you're experiencing in other words you don't need to get drawn into a whole lot of um you know uh, education of the child about your parents or the family or whatever find out what the child's thinking they're fantastically acute on the whole children get it i've heard you know can I, how, how rude can we be on this? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we had we had a family here. <laughs> we had a family here, a father with two children, a baby that he was looking, he was a single, single father, a baby and a three-year-old girl. And we were all outside one summer in the garden <laughs> and having a, having a cup of tea. And we could hear this little three-year-old's voice coming across the grass. You fucking idiot, she said to her father <laughs> as he did something really stupid. And we just thought, yeah, you're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You've got it. And wow. you know, these, these kids, you know, they do understand what's happening. But do excuse my English. No, no, that's fine. In a way, though, I think also, in a way, Dwayne, I think also that they need to hear that adults make decisions, you know, and if they're getting to, to be, you know, late, late teenage years, then obviously it's different. But but with with younger children, it's the adults decide what's going to happen. And I think they need to know that because I think it's dreadful to have a parent involve them in, you know, mum's done this or dad's done that. Mm. And, you know, he's upset me, you know, guess what she's done now. It, you, you know, that that really does, I think, do terrible yes, harm. Yes, keep the adult child boundaries. And, and the, the adults, mm. it's the adults who decide. I think that has to be the message. And, and also, I think you have to say to a child, if you're involved with the court, I, I may not. You know, I don't do the deciding. Someone else will do will do the um, deciding, and we'll have to wait and see. So that you know, that's that's another way of being totally frank and honest with children about what's happening. It's it's just so tough because it's so stressful, right? I mean, I, as yeah. you're saying that, I'm yeah. I'm looking at it going, yeah. I mean, objectively, you can say that, but in the moment, the person or the parent saying that is basically st stuck with the po the potential. That at the end of the day, a, a, the person on the bench could turn around and say, you don't get to see your kids anymore or your time is significantly mm -hmm. reduced. Or, I mean, I know in your guys' yeah. situations, typically it would be, you know, they're going to be adopted and they're not going to be your kids anymore. Um, and it's, yeah. it's really hard when the stakes are so high to, to relax. And, of course. And this is why people should not be going to court if they can possibly resolve the situation themselves. Why would you ever hand a problem over to a stranger to decide when it's your life and your child's life? Well, I mean, I know it can't be avoided, but yeah, goodness the, me, people need to avoid it if they can. Well, the problem is, is that the system is set up that if you have somebody who opinion-wise might be disordered, they have nothing to lose. If they roll the dice yeah. and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to take the whole, th they're trying to win 100%. Well, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and typically yeah, yeah. it is, it's like you don't necessarily lose. If you roll the dice, if you win, you get everything. And if you lose... Well, you get maybe 50-50, right? I mean, it's like very rarely, it seems, I don't know how it is in the UK, but in the United States, there very rarely is anybody held accountable for creating so much drama, throwing out false allegations 
at yeah. the end of the day, it's like, yeah. oh, okay, well, we've looked at it. You know, you're both kind of knuckleheads, but uh, it's 50-50. And, you know, you got to typically, right? I mean, t stereotypically would be the father who's been spending a y two years fighting to try to see their kids. And now, okay, everything's okay. Everything's great now. You guys have had this knockdown, drag out, nasty battle, you know, horrific allegations thrown against you. Um, but now it's all good now and you guys can just go along and co-parent. I mean, and it's like, that's... I mean, it's, it's nearly impossible, mm. not impossible, but I mean, I mean, even in my mm. situation, I mean, you know, you take a, I mean, a false allegations, not, and mine weren't super bad. They were just the normal, I'm a scumbag. I, you know, I'm verbally and physically violent, you know, all this stuff that was, you know, just false allegations. And I, my approach was like, well, it's bull. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to approach it in fear that it's true. I'm saying it's, and technically for my situation, it was all BS because if it wasn't BS, I would lose my career. My career would go away because of mm. certain things I mm. need to have. So I'm like, this is crap. This is bull BS. Um, anyways, uh, it's just, it's, it's so tough because I mean, at the other side of it, you, you don't just turn around and go, okay, you know, all right, well, we had a game, you know, it's not like a football game or whatever, where, you know, you no. battled it out and somebody won and somebody lost. Now let's go have a beer. It's like, no, you've, nearly destroyed my life. And I'm constantly yeah. thinking of you are thinking yeah. of the person as, as an enemy that you'd never know if they're going to turn around and try to, you know, stab you in the side. I mean, so how do well, you, 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 may, you may well have heard of this um, problem that we have here doing, but we have a situation where legal aid is granted. If you, if you allege domestic abuse, right. If you don't allege domestic abuse, you don't get legal aid. So you can imagine what a lot of people are saying now that, um, you know, false allegations are made because it's the only way of getting some legal help for free. Um, so that even, you know, that complicates it even more. Well, let me let me use that as a segue to because uh, I'd like to spend the last 10 minutes or so or the last little bit we have on this is and I and, I, and if hopefully this is a good segue, but but. I would think that if I was in a situation to where I'm dealing with the, the false allegations, the best defense is to, to have evidence to demonstrate that that's not the case. And how could I use your guys' tool mm -hmm. to help with that? Because I think one of the other, and just before I hand the floor over to you, I think one of the other problems that happens is, is you're under the tremendous amount of stress. You're dealing with false allegations. I mean, I've had people on the show or, and I've had done coaching calls with I'm not a therapist or anything, but I just kind of help just like peer support really where they've been accused of molesting their kids and then it'll be investigated and found unfounded. And then they'll be accused of, of molesting one of their other kids. And I mean, in some situations, the, the, in that particular one I'm talking about right now, the legal system and the ev evaluators all realize that the other parent is making it up. Right. I mean, so they've, they've given, they keep giving this person back his standard or his uh, court ordered visitation. Um, but I mean, it's, it's really hard whenever you're dealing with that to, to be calm and then to go yeah. down and like, like to, to document everything that's happened. And that's what I think is really fascinating about or good about your tool is it's a way to document how you're going. So instead of being in the situation where, okay, I got court next week. So now I have to go through all the email records, all the documentation, which is incredibly triggering. I mean, you know, you can't go through that and yeah. look at these things and look at it objectively because every little text message you're reading is going to re-traumatize you in effect. So how can your guys' tool help, help people in this situation? 
Well, we have an app that um, enables anyone who uses it to upload evidence of a, of a problem. So on any occasion anything happens, you can use the app to keep a written or audio record of the problem, the specific thing that happened at that time, and you can upload anything you want in support of it. So it could be a screenshot of a text message or an email or anything like that. And then if you do this as time goes by, you're gradually presenting the picture without having to go back to all your records, as you said, Dwayne, and, and go through them. It's, it's you're preparing it as you go along. The app is about to go on to, well, it's going on to a new framework. And until now, what we've been um, asking people to do is collect evidence of anything bad that's happening. So it's all been rated um, in a way where it's negative. But what we've decided to do with the um, with the the new app when it comes out on the new framework, it will also enable you to gather positive uh, evidence of things that have happened. So, so you'll have a negative and a positive. And I would be suggesting to anyone who, at the moment they think, they think that there could be uh, an allegation made about them to keep records of all the things you did with the children, where you went, how long you spent, if anyone was with you, upload evidence of it you know so you can prove you actually did go wherever you went to the ice rink or the cinema or, or wherever um record what happened so that you've got some pictures of the kids for example having fun at the beach um or whatever because the worst thing for anyone is to face an allegation and if they haven't kept evidence of what they've been doing it's very difficult to remember what happened on certain days who oh, was yeah. with you who might have been able to you know back you up because they were there um and it's a, a really good tool to show what's been happening bad and good and the point of the good bit is to show really that you have had some fun times with the children if, if they're bad times report you know equally keep records of it and explain what happened you know if they arrived in a terrible state because something had happened as they were leaving the house or explain it and then you've really got a lot of information that you can rely on the problem with most people up to now is that they've gone they go into an, an office to see a lawyer and what they are trying to do is remember things yeah They've got a breath idea. They can give you the broad brush. You know, he's done this, she's done that. You know, there's been violence. There's been, um, you know, humiliation or whatever. And the next question always is, what happened? Exactly what happened? When did it happen? Where were you? Were the children present when it happened? Did you have anyone else there? And those are the kind of things that are, are there to help you if you get into trouble to say, look, I've got a record. This is where I was on that day. It's said that you were, you've gone to Bristol, but look, I was in London. I took the children here. Here are some pictures. We went to, you know, we went to see Nelson's column or whatever it was. One of the, one of the troubles with that is that it's hard work. It is. If yeah. you're going to keep records properly, you have to regard it as a daily chore because uh, it, it's, you know, and when you're being traumatized by the experience, it's probably the last thing you want to do. Yeah. You know, you really want to forget about things if you possibly can. But I suppose we'd be saying you have to approach this like a job. Yeah. If you're dealing with a dangerous ex, a dangerous situation, which could even escalate to the police getting involved, it could even escalate to you being imprisoned on the basis of false allegations. You really you do have to take it seriously. You, you, you know, however unpleasant it is, you have to see it as a job, unfortunately.
it's it's no, tragic, I, I, but I, it is. I agree it's that with serious. you. Well, and I and I can even from my own personal experience. I mean, I know I was it was recommended I journal mm. and stuff. But there were a lot of t or journal about what was happening. Uh, and mm -hmm. there are a lot of times like where you just said it was just like you, you're so stressed and anxious that you don't even Boy, think man. about it. Now, there were some things I was doing to try to protect myself, but it wasn't it wasn't a consolidated consolidated thing. And I, and I get I guess one thing I should throw out there is, I mean, different areas have different rules. I mean, so obviously, if you're if you can't videotape or record somebody legally in your area yeah. obviously don't upload that to your app uh, i'm going to try to pull this up real quick i think it's going to it might kind of mess up how you guys are shown on the screen but no not that whoops let me actually click onto it so come some people were asking what what the app is so it's called on record the web link is my uh if i remember correctly right now in the phase you guys are in it's not a paid app per se yet but that's yeah. obviously it's going to move to that so so for the audience, if they wanted to check it out, they could go sign up and start kicking the tires, so to speak. And uh, yeah. for for like maybe, I don't know, when are you, when are you guys going to basically kind of put this activated? I, well, I mean, it's active now, but on the new system you're talking about and, and I mean. It's in the spring. Okay. It's so fully functional. Okay. No, it's fully functional now, but it will be better in the spring. So if you guys want to check it out, uh, there is a link I put in the description of and the show notes of the video and the podcast. So you can find that. Uh, and for the people listening, I what I have on the screen is just their the website. But uh, I would definitely encourage people to uh, to check that out. And I think one of the uh, I, we got a couple more minutes. Uh, well, technically, we're down to three minutes. So on that. <laughs> See, I told you guys before we started that it was we would I, I still have a bunch of other questions that it we didn't flies. get to, but uh, we didn't get into personality disorders. <laughs> well, we we did a little bit. That's so right. we'll have okay. to have you guys back on to no to, to, to uh, talk about it. But if there, so to in wrapping things up, is there anything you guys want to add or, or just some maybe some key takeaways for people who are dealing with this situation right now, what they can do? I mean, obviously, probably looking at your app would be one, but but to to really improve their situation or just their focus. And I know you've, you've keyed in on a bunch of them during the show, but uh, any, any final things you'd like to uh, offer up? Well, I'd like to just repeat what you said right at the beginning. The diagnosis, the idea of suggesting that somebody has a diagnosis is a mistake. Don't, don't worry about trying to label somebody as, uh, um, you know, borderline personality disorder or psychopath or anything like that. It's, it's meaningless to a court. What you actually have to have is examples of the behavior that is harmful to the child. And you need as clear evidence as you've got to support the fact that you're saying these things have happened. Doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. It's the behavior that is affecting the child, which is what counts. Doesn't matter whether you think it's parental alienation or whatever you choose to call it. That is harmful to a child, but you have to describe the things that are happening that are harmful and evidence it. That's spot and I would on. Say, sorry. Go ahead. Hmm. I would say read up about what you're trying to um, prove. So um, if you go on the website, we've got lots of blogs. We've done some case summaries so we can, um, if you look at them, you can see some records that have been made. And the you, legal definitions of different kinds of offense. Yeah. What is domestic abuse? What is harassment? Yeah. What is stalking? Yeah. Et so, so it's all there. So, so do some research so you understand what you've got to prove and then set about keeping records to prove it. 
That's awesome. Hey, thanks you guys. I really appreciate the conversation. So uh, uh, we might have to uh, we might have to do another one of these to di- to dive into page two and three. <laughs> so thanks a lot. We'd, we'd love to. Awesome. Thank okay. you very much. Thanks, Dwayne. All right, guys. Hey, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you enjoyed that uh, discussion. A lot of good information. Like I said, I didn't get to everything, but on that. Thank you guys so much. I do want to uh, thank the channel members who helped make all this hop happen, who uh, clicked the button and uh, helped provide uh, the financial support to keep the lights on, keep the internet going, and keep all the software running. So on that, have a great rest of your day, and uh, I will be back here tomorrow.